Bitcoin. Welcome to another POW market update. My name is Anson Leonard. This is Bitcoin and Markets. This is not investment advice, people. Do your own research. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. Wow, so much stuff has happened. Um, sorry I haven't got an episode out. Uh, you know, it's been late nights watching the charts. I have posted a lot on Twitter during that time, so you guys can go to BTCMRKTS and see lots of tweets over the last few days. And also on my 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 personal one, I try to do charts on my the show's account, and then I'll do like uh, just, you know, <laughs> shit posting on my Ansel Linder account but anyways so it's been it's been crazy late nights up early the weather here is sub zero and for multiple multiple days um other family issues so sorry I haven't got one out but we are back and talking about this now we have had um a bounce here a pretty good bounce um I think I mean, everyone wants to call the bottom and all this, but I think the bottom's in. We've gone back and broken some resistance to the top side, and hey, it feels good. Uh, there wasn't a, a t- I mean, there wasn't this huge capitulation wick, and lots of people want to see this huge capitulation with like a six hundred dollar bounce off the bottom. Um, we didn't really see that. We saw that several times in the big run up last year, uh, and that's why people were kind of expecting that. But this sell off was unique. There were several things unique about it, and so I expected to have a unique bounce, and we did. We just kind of bottomed, had a little inverse head and shoulders, and came right back up. So we'll see if this holds over the next week, but I think this is pretty good. I think this bottom is pretty good. Lots and lots of news has come up. If you guys want me to touch on something, um, DM it to me or just tweet at me, uh, BDCMRKTS, and I'll cover different stories on the show but uh short of that i'm not going to go and rehash the last week that i kind of missed i'm going to fast forward and and be current so the last couple days is what i'm going to talk about okay so because i assume you guys are all you know this is more of a um second level show i do want to be approachable to newbies coming in but most of my listeners are going to be people that have been here a while. They're kind of experienced. And so uh, I, I assume that you know where to get your news and all that. And this, this show is just going to cover kind of my thoughts in the last few days. Let's go over some numbers. Bitstamp is 11,516. We have seen a little surge here breaking through that double bottom we had a couple weeks ago that I thought was going to hold uh, and have a triple bottom. Um, we broke through that and now we come and broke through it as resistance as well up to the top side. So I think that's very bullish in where this price is going. Um, one finny is a dollar and 15 cents. That's the dollar denomination. Uh, one ten thousandth of a Bitcoin, one finny. Mayor multiple is looking sweet. 1.6. That's a 200 day moving average of 7154. Uh, that is right on target for a pullback a major major pullback like this pullback was as big as some of these other ones we've seen in the past um, from 2012 uh, early 2013 those pullbacks we hit that mayor multiple right around one uh, give or take and so 1.6 is very good it's right in the ballpark we can run back up to 5x uh, on this this uh, mayor multiple easily three month bitcoin settled futures 
is thir- oh, sorry, 11,770. That's a spread of $200 or just over 1%, 1.5%. CME futures, the January contract expires today and that is at a discount still. It it 11,470 and the March contract is well, basically even at 11,585. The June contract on CME still has zero volume, which is pretty interesting to me. There's a lot of um, ideas out there, theories floating around that this all this dip had to do with the CME futures. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, there was not enough volume. There was only like, uh, what was it? I think it was like maybe 4,000 coins on CME and like three 3,500 coins on SIBO. So there's just not enough coins for this to really matter. Really, there, there's there's not enough volume out there. And actually, I have this reverse. The SIBO contracts expire today, but the CME futures expire the last Friday of the month. So they're, they're still a, a week or two out. Yeah, I, there's just not enough volume. I mean, seven, eight thousand bitcoins is going to be absorbed by the market. I mean, on one exchange, you could wick down one exchange, but it's not going to affect the global market. This was a global market phenomenon. Uh, the main characteristics that I saw was okay. So we had the Korea scare, quote unquote scare, uh, that kind of collapsed the spread between Korea and the rest of the world by, I don't know, like 25% or so. But over the next few days, we saw that the premiums between Korea and Japan shrink and then all the way down to the dollar markets as well. That to me was the overall feeling of this market. It was, or this, this dip, it was just a reset of these premiums, a reset of the whole bubble or the whole rally, I guess. There was nothing here that I saw that was major manipulation or major kind of the effects of the futures contracts. There's just not enough volume there. Anyway, okay, enough on that. Um, BitMEX futures. We also saw this premium collapse. The June contracts on BitMEX were like $4,000 above spot, and then they got even, basically, which was just mind-blowing to me to see this huge premium collapse uh, that was that was pretty incredible we saw futures the futures premium collapse all across the board and that's a good reset now to move up again i really think this is a good foundation we got a lot of the froth out of the market and now we can move up all right market size so market caps took a huge hit um that's okay we're i'm trying to go away from market cap as a measurement, but it's still something that people want to hear about. So I'm going to talk about it at least a little bit. Market cap for Bitcoin, 191 billion. Global Bitcoin market cap is 504 billion. Maximalist price. Oh, I didn't even run that. Let me see. Maximalist price is 33,722. On-chain transaction volume for Bitcoin in the last 24 hours was 2.8 billion, which is, we're in this major, major pullback. So I don't, this statistic, these couple statistics here, uh, are not as important to me at this time. Thirty-three seven twenty-two. Okay, the average transaction value on Bitcoin over the last twenty-four hours was eight thousand eight hundred and eighty-six dollars. 
almost thought it was going to be four eighths, didn't you? Security. So this to me, now if we're talking manipulation in the market, this I'm, I'm going to be watching out for other people's opinions on this. If you guys listen to the show and you guys have an opinion on this, uh, you know, reach out to me because uh, I think that this avenue of looking for manipulation is going to be much more fruitful than the CME route. Um, difficulty is estimated to go up between nine and 15% in the over, well, the next reset, which is in seven days. And the hash rate just spiked during this whole thing. Just spiked. A crazy, crazy spike. The Bcash hash rate was cut in half. It went down to 4% of Bitcoin's hash rate, which I think that's where it's going lower and lower all the time. If you look at the chart, the percentage of SHA-256 mining is Bcash is slowly going down. But anyway, it got cut in half in a matter of hours. Bitcoin's hash rate jumped. We were up to, we at one point, I think we hit like 18 or 20 blocks in one hour. Uh, and now we're, we're steady at like eight, I think eight blocks an hour. My theory is that these host miners that are trying to push Bcash, okay, miners in general have the incentive to go short on futures, right? Because they want to guarantee a sale price of their Bitcoins. So it's natural for them to go short because if it drops drastically, they make money, they make that difference, they can lock in their price at the end of the month, at the end of that contract, they lock in their price. Very interesting to think about how these hostile miners will actually lock in their price on Bitcoin. Then they will FUD the crap out of Bitcoin, spam the mempool, you know, ideologically mine more on Bcash because they're already getting paid for their coins at a higher uh, percentage over there on Bitcoin. So they can, they, they have, it's less risky to do these attacks on Bitcoin and to uh, kind of fudge around with the hash rate. So I think there was manipulation there, actually. The volume was so low, I did some calculations, some just napkin math, uh, that miners can have a volume of 360 contracts on CME every day. I don't think they do. I think maybe you're much smaller than that. But if you're only talking, you know, a thousand, two thousand contracts in the whole month, um, the miners can be a significant portion of that. So if then you're talking hedge funds. Are they sh short? Well, maybe, but there's not many contracts there left to mess around with. But the miners can really affect the price with just a small amount of, of short hedging. So I think that is more fruitful of an avenue to pursue when you're looking for manipulation. Let me know what you guys think about that. Okay, fees. I have a mempool from Block, uh, well, sorry, Trade Block, and it's at 11 megabytes. They take a ton of stuff out. That's just like the most important 11 megabytes. Uh, they have a, an, a fee estimation of 110 Satoshis per byte. I think that's pretty good. Uh, also, if you look at uh, Joho's site here for the visualization, you know, the rainbow chart of the mempool, I have a link to all this stuff in my show notes. Um, he's showing 250 megabytes worth of mempool. But of course, he's measuring everything down to the free transactions that are sitting in the mempool which probably will never get never get uh, confirmed. But we see also, if you look at the rainbow chart, what I think is interesting is we've seen better fee estimation for sure. Uh, many 
much fewer like overpaid transactions where uh, people are paying a ton we'll see a very measured so like if you really want to confirm in the next block then you'll pay a higher fee but we're seeing that percentage much lower so people are they might have overpaid in the past because their wallet wasn't estimating the fees properly now it looks like there's better fee estimation and we're seeing a lot um, prettier distribution here for the fees maybe that has to do with BitPay. I know that they just recently looked at the, their fees and um, started managing them better. Uh, Coinbase is doing something similar. Zappo, I think, is doing something sim similar. So these people are really starting to uh, get the hint here. You gotta, you gotta be smart about, you gotta be good stewards of Bitcoin. We're not going to be raising the block size anytime soon. So get that out of your head and, and optimize your systems. Okay. And that's starting to sink into people. Plus, we're seeing a lot of people start doing SegWit transactions, which is which is good. I haven't looked at those numbers, but it, last I saw, it was about fifteen percent of transactions are using SegWit. But yeah, so the the distribution looks really really good. Um, at this, oh, the the one story about Coinbase. So Coinbase turned off their withdrawals for a few days, and we saw a marked difference in the mempool huge difference in the mempool we we chewed through a lot of the stuff and we saw a lot of the um uh, fee estimations and the, the high fees that are being paid get cut down a lot so that was really interesting it shows that they haven't done much if anything on their systems in years they're not that old of a company they're like four years old and they probably haven't touched a lot of their code in that four years and i've heard theories that oh it's it's very risky for them to do that. And you don't want to give uh, a ton of different people access to that code. That code is very valuable. Billions of dollars are going through there. And if you let the wrong person in there, they could be leaking money like Mt. Gox ended up doing, right? So you have to be very smart. It's very hard to update this code. Um, you know, they might just have to build something from scratch. And that is risky in itself. Uh, so I, they're, they're in a pickle, man. They're in a pickle. It makes sense that they wanted bigger blocks because they can't scale their goddamn system. They were, they were putting all their externalities onto the network. You know, they were putting all their coding, all this hard coding work. They were dumping it onto the backs of the core developers. It makes perfect sense. They wanted to scale for a few more years without worrying about this. So they wanted to raise the block size. But they, so they weren't thinking about the health and the security and the decentralization of the entire network. They don't think in the term, in terms of decentralization because they're a centralized, regulated, most compliant business in Bitcoin. So they don't think in this decentralized way. But the core developers have to, right? Users have to. Users have to think in this decent about decentralization. So uh, it just makes, now that we're looking back on this whole fight, over the last two years, it's starting to make sense. The information comes out, you know, we kind of fill in those places in the narrative in the history books, and it, it just makes perfect sense. Coinbase was trying to export a lot of this hard development work onto the backs of core developers. They're in deep shit with their um, unmanaged UTXOs and their old archaic systems that are aging very quickly, and they can't seem to upgrade them. It just makes total sense. And I, this isn't just Coinbase either. I'm sure BitPay's in the same boat. Blockchain.info is in the same boat. Uh, a lot of these companies.
All right, that was all fees. Development. Merged PRs for Bitcoin over the last seven days, 16 and 23 closed issues. And I just have a comparison up here because uh, one of my good buddies was asking me about this and how it's comparing. And uh, Ethereum has 10 merged pull requests on their reference, quote unquote, reference client. They don't have a reference client like Bitcoin does, but um, their main client, which is Geth, they have 10 merged PRs in the last seven days. So Bitcoin there is 50% higher in development activity than Ethereum. And not only that, but the quality of devs on Bitcoin are, is higher. So yeah, you might say, look, Ethereum is somewhat in the ballpark of Bitcoin development wise. This is bullish for Ethereum, but no, because you have to measure the quality. The top cryptographers in the world work on Bitcoin. Ethereum has maybe one or two of the top people, you know, a, a group that's pretty good compared to almost any other group. But then when you compare it to Bitcoin, it still looks really inferior. The group of de developers, 400 or so developers on Bitcoin Core, they, they're just the best of the best. All right, OTC volume. I had a hiccup here because coin.dance is down, so I couldn't get really good statistics. I extrapolated from my own um, numbers that I pull, and the, over the last 24 hours, we've seen 1,790 Bitcoins transacted on local Bitcoins. I extrapolated that out for a week, and I got $144 million in the last week. That seems to be that, if that's true, that's an all-time high by $10 million. Um, that could be a high estimate because other days aren't going to be as big as yesterday, I think. But, um, you know, that's that's the estimates I have. Paxful volume is down 3.5 million last week from the numbers I could gather. Uh, Ledger X is at 1.3 million. There was very, very low volume on, pa on Ledger X. I'm very surprised at this. Um, you know, this is the Wall Street over-the-counter. This is the options market for Bitcoin right now, in, in the United States at least. Uh, so that's very, very low. Now, I did add G the Gemini auction. You might have heard me talking about that the last couple shows. Uh, but, you know, so Gemini has their exchange, but they also have an auction side where they're doing this, um, you know, over-the-counter stuff, basically. And this is the price that SIBO uses for their futures. And I expected them to get a lot more volume. Well, oh my gosh, they got a lot more volume. They were doing just fractions of a Bitcoin every day, maybe one or two Bitcoins uh, on their big days. But over the last week, they've picked up drastically. And they are now, for the last seven days, I saw $6.1 million. That's not including yesterday, though, which the 17th of January, which was gigantic. 600 and 18 bitcoins auctioned on gemini what was the dollar value of that let me check that out the dollar value yesterday alone was 6.7 million dollars auctioned at gemini so that is going to be a growing market i'm going to be quoting that every time now um it's to me that's uber bullish they bought the bottom there's some big buyers out there buying on these OTC markets. I know ItBit has an OTC market, but I can't find public data for that. So, um, but yeah, this is where the big guys are buying and this isn't going to affect the price nearly as much, right? So instead of going on the exchanges and buying 600 Bitcoins in a big block and taking that off the market, uh, off the exchange available funds, they're going and doing this OTC, which I think is really interesting. 
Anyway, there's other exchanges like BISC.network. You can check out their decentralized exchanges. Those are getting more and more volume. So check them out. See what you guys think. All right, that's all I have for fundamentals. Let's get into a few stories. Okay, Bitcoin related. There was a great article by Ah, dude, I'm gonna butcher your name. I don't know. Josh O. His Twitter handle is Carpe Noctum. I've been following him for over a year, maybe even two years. He has really good analysis. He has a he writes for Brave New Coin and he writes technical analysis articles or market analysis articles. This last this latest one that I link in the show notes, um, he does a great job. And I know he listens to the show too. So uh, he does a great, great job of breaking down some good fundamentals and technical analysis all in one article. It was really, really good. Um, He's bullish and I'm bullish and that's good. Good job, Josh. Okay, there was this CryptoWeekly.co. It seems to be a new news site for Bitcoin. They released their top 100 influential Bitcoiners and... I made the list. I was 94th, but I don't even think I deserve to be on that list. Uh, Chris DeRose, who I hold him in very high respect, uh, high esteem, his his intellectual grasp of what's going on in Bitcoin. And there's a few other people that were below me that I'm like, I don't even deserve to be on this list. Of course, you know, you can say that about everybody on that on there. Some people that were 20th probably don't deserve to be on there either. So, um, And a lot of people were left out that I think should have been on there. But that's just kind of neat. I link to that in the show notes. GBTC, uh, that is, you know, the the tradable Bitcoin trust. They have, uh, they're going to have a 90 to 1 split, I think, here in about three or four days, uh, or 91 to 1 split. So you get 90 extra shares if you have one. Um, And so right now, the way it worked was it was around a tenth of a Bitcoin, but then they would take some fees out of there, right? And so it had been whittled down below a tenth of a Bitcoin down to like 0.9 seven or some point uh point zero nine seven uh, that's kind of interesting it's going to allow more people to approach that price uh because it was get, it got into the four digits right um and that might be unapproachable for some people so break that down now it's going to be in the what it'll be in the three digits again will be in the two digits i don't know but it'll become the price the unit bias will be taken out all right, Bcash development is an utter joke. Um, they took, you guys probably saw this, but they took Jimmy Song, an old Jimmy Song PR uh, change in his co- in the Bitcoin code from last year that he did into Core before the fork. When they forked, they took all these bunch of changes out of Core, and now they're starting to put some back in. And the main developer got on Twitter and said, thank you, Jimmy Song, for becoming the newest Bitcoin Cash contributor. Well, he got on. He's like, dude, this is misleading. You just backported one of my changes from Core. And he got pretty pissed about it. Um, Not that he got pissed about them using that code, but that they misrepresented what was going on. He's not a contributor to um, Bitcoin Cash, to Bcash. But that's how they're going to get, that's how they got to do it because they have no developers themselves. They have one dude, Tom Zander, who 
that's Dettel Nix is their one dude. Tom Zander is, uh, he was the main guy from Bitcoin Classic. And he had a rage quit out of Bcash, um, saying that it's way more totalitarian uh, than Bitcoin Core because it is one person. And remember, Dettelnix, he proposed the change for the hard fork. He he chose his change for the hard fork, and then he tested it on his own, and then he activated it. So like, it's completely centralized. So Bcash is going down. I don't see anything that can save it. They actually had like I said had a tweet about plunge protection team because we saw these gigantic wicks down to like five percent of Bitcoin's price, all the way from it was at point two all the way down to like point zero five, uh, and then you know bought right back up. It was a bunch of flash crashes in a row. Uh, so yeah, the plunge protection team was out there in force to protect this price. Uh, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be freaking so expensive for them to hold this price up. They're going to have to let it fall. Really, they're going to have to get short on it and let it fall and then reassess at a lower level. And it's just going to trickle down against Bitcoin, especially now that Bitcoin is going to go back up here. All right, next one is Japan. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know, about a year and a half ago, I called this Japan, uh, whole rise of Japan. This is even before the demise of China. I said Japan was going to come to the forefront of this Bitcoin thing just because they have the right demographics. They have the right uh, economy for this to really move in here and make a difference for the average millennial Japanese person. Um, so I thought it, it was going, and plus they're very connected, very tech uh, tech savvy over there. So it was just a perfect fit and they continue to make huge moves in Bitcoin. Now Mitsubishi coin is, uh, this, the fourth largest bank in the world, this Mitsubishi bank is going to be launching their own cryptocurrency. Now I, this is a fed coin kind of, uh, it's a bank coin and it's not going to work, but it shows that they are, they're serious and they're, they're experimenting. And they're not just talking about this. They're actually, they don't have any like super big bias against this whole thing. They're just going to go out and launch shit and try it, right? Which I, I think is really cool. Another big piece of news out of Japan is this DMM exchange. I guess it's a large e-commerce superpower over there in China. And they just launched a Bitcoin exchange with seven different coins, 14 pairs. And so, yeah, this... Uh, Plus, these guys, these same people, DMM, just got into Bitcoin mining as well. Um, there's just so much stuff happening. There's also an article on Zero Hedge that I link in the show notes. I only find about one article a day or so on Zero Hedge nowadays that's any good. But this one I noticed a few days ago. Um, they took a look at the Japanese buying of foreign bonds. And this was pretty important to their economy, right? Like they are huge savers and they would buy a bunch of foreign bonds because their bonds were so low in return, negative, right? Basically zero for the last 20 years. And so they were looking out to, at these foreign bonds for this investment and you could get, you know, four or 5% in the U.S. You could get maybe, uh, depending on where you go in, in Europe, you could get maybe seven, 8% or something like that. So there was a lot of places to go. Now the, the yields have, we're, we're at the end of this huge 30, 40 year bull market in bonds. And uh, prices now, uh, rates have started going back up. So the Japanese are no longer investing in these bonds. And what are they doing? Well, I'm thinking a lot of them are going into crypto. It's just a perfect storm in Japan. Every time I think about it, every time I read something about it, Japan is going to push this forward. 
Okay, and last thing, I just want to take a quick look at what I think happened here over the last couple of weeks. And people had been go- had gone into cash, and there was a lot of cash waiting on the sidelines. There, there has been this air of anticipation around Bitcoin. Um, if the price was going down, if these this big institutional money was coming up, uh, coming in, you know, with the futures launching, that we had the kind of uh, sell the news sort of feeling out there. And so there's a lot of anticipation and no one was buying. People were putting off their buying at the end of the year, the beginning of the year to see what happens with this market. Um, also, attackers were selling. So people like the Bcash folks, the Bcash billionaires, they were selling and trying to push the price down. Now, they didn't even realize this is how crazy they are. They didn't even realize that pushing down Bitcoin is going to push down everything. They had all these different things adding up into Bitcoin that made the price go down. Um, also, miners need to sell end of the year they need to make their their stuff if they've been holding off the also to for bitcoin it doesn't have to be news uh good news on the development front or the adoption front or anything we can also look at international news to see what's happening like we remember when uh, cyprus had the big thing that helped the bitcoin price when greece had their thing that helped the bitcoin price we had the italian banking issue and the spanish banking all that stuff has kind of settled down for the time being and there isn't as much uh, in the news, there isn't as much uh, actually happening on this financial world, financial front right now. The stock market is up. Everything seems fine. People are getting euphoria over there in stocks. Um, so we, we have to look at these other things outside of, of Bitcoin. There is a bunch of accumulation happening. So we saw a lot of like $1,000 bid walls get eaten through on the way down. Um, there are people ha- that have accumulated down around between 12000 and 10000 So I think we can pop right back up above 12000 You have to own Bitcoin to sell Bitcoin. So eventually these sellers are going to run out of Bitcoin and it's going to recover. The price will recover. And there's no, there was no big capitulation wick. So all these things added together was just, it was not a panic explosion explosive move to the downside but it was just like a slow leak let all this extra air out and now we go up that's kind of what i feel uh the korean spread the japanese spread has come down remember there was a there was a thing about from bitflyer that they were going to actively look at decreasing the spreads on their individual exchange between products Uh, but that might have caused this japanese spread to go down to work its way out as well between the US dollar the US dollar price and the Japanese yen price. Um, lots of these little things that can make the market move and that's why we kind of saw this slow d- dribble down and now turn around. We'll have to see what happens, but uh, there's so much upside in Bitcoin that if you miss a little bit here and let it let the rally resume, then you know the risk is going to be much less for you. So uh, that's about it, guys. Have a good day. Hope y'all are doing well. We'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. Bitcoin.